Thank you, Kimberly and music team, for leading us again this morning, tuning our heart, tuning our attitudes and our attention and our focus. Uh, praise the Lord. It is good to see you. Good morning. Uh, my name's Gary. I'm another one of the pastors here at Westview, and uh, we're delighted that you're joining us here in person and on live stream. Uh, we're grateful that um, you have taken time, and it's apparently it's a long weekend. Um, we, we asked our neighbors, um, and they said, uh, wait till after the long weekend before doing too much planting. So uh, we're going to take their word for it. Uh, craving. Crave, to crave. It's part of human experience. It's what we do. We crave things. It is so common and understood that, um, you know, there's even... Um, a live stream service provider uh, called Crave. It's uh, an app. There's, it's, it's literally, they're putting it right out there. If you want to know what's going on in the world, turn to social media. Don't go into it, but it certainly is a commentary on what's going on. Um, another form or, or definition or word for Crave is an intense desire. An intense desire. And it can sneak up on us. Uh, we can have a craving. Hmm, I feel like, you know, I, that's weird. I have a craving for dark chocolate. Um, uh, Twizzlers. For some reason, I need Twizzlers right now. Um, we heard yesterday in uh, the memorial service for Alice Budd that she liked Chinese food. So some people have a craving for Chinese, or sushi. Ah, thank you. Uh, so they, there's a variety, but... Desire can be more significant um, and prominent in our lives, too. Uh, in fact, it's, it's prevalent, it's persuasive, and it's powerful for any age, at any age group. Little children, teenagers, young adults, older adults, and it's very pervasive even among groups. So how does desire function and what are we to do with ours that's what we're going to look at this morning as we get into the scripture passage how does desire function and what are we to do with ours a little later on we will pause i will pause and uh, we'll have uh, time for q and r where you can ask questions and interact with what we're talking about here we want to have this posture of humility and dialogue that this is dialogical you can text or email to ask at Westview Church, uh, and uh, you can ask your questions or stand where you are, and we'll bring a microphone to you. Uh, last week, we were talking uh, about the passage from James 1, starting those first number of verses, and someone in the congregation uh, in the foyer after the service was talking about uh, James saying this aspect of perfect, or being perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And they were kind of challenging, you know, what does that look like? And this idea that we can be actually perfect in a moment, not perfect as in completely perfect, but what James is saying there is that the Lord is committed to giving you what you need in that circumstance. So in that circumstance, in that moment, you can be perfect or complete, lacking in nothing, that he will supply what you need for that moment or that circumstance. The other thing that we talked about was joy, and uh, one of the questions was, you know, what is joy? And um, because of this passage, we consider it all joy 
And uh, Pastor Tyler and I were talking about it as well, and one of the things that he pointed out that comes from James again is this idea that joy, divine joy, is not determined by the immediate circumstance that we're in. So divine joy isn't determined by the immediate circumstance, and certainly when we, for example, are going through a difficulty. So Q&R later on. Our question this morning, how does desire function and what are we to do with ours? And so please turn in your Bibles to the book of James. Towards the end of the New Testament, we were talking about last week, James, a servant of the Lord. We also understand that he was, in fact, a brother to, to Jesus. So James 1, I'm going to start at verse 12. Blessed is anyone who endures temptation. Such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. No one, when tempted, should say, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But one is tempted by one's own desire, being lured and enticed by it. Then, when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And that sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. I want to just pause there. Uh, as James is going through this, you can hear that there are figures of speech that he is using to convey what the Lord has in terms of a message. Metaphors, using metaphors or figures of speech to convey this important message. And this word temptation, temptation is used six times in these, just these few verses. It is something that human beings go through. It's an existential reality that all of us are, get experience with temptation. From the early days is the accounts of Genesis and Exodus, and then in James' day, he's talking about it as well again to this congregation. And temptation that he's describing here is different than the word trial that he was talking about just in the preceding verses. Trial having to do with trouble or a problem or a difficulty. Now he's moved even closer in and he's moving into now talking about temptation. They are different. You might be experiencing a problem or a difficulty, but it's not quite the same as a temptation, although temptations can bring a problem. Jesus experienced trials. He experienced trouble, challenge. Perhaps we are, uh, the most acute experience of that was recalled when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane before he would be betrayed and arrested, and he struggled with this assignment that he understood he was going to have, and he struggled with it in the Garden. We understand after he was baptized, the Holy Spirit led him into the desert, and while he was fasting, the enemy came and went through the act of tempting Jesus, not that he was tempted, but tempting him with various things. So he experienced this trial and he experienced the onslaught of being tempted while not being tempted. 
And it seems to me as I was reflecting on that, that what Jesus was actually doing in the garden and in the desert was he was fulfilling what the first human beings in the Garden of Eden failed to do. He was successful in doing in the garden. And what the people of Israel failed to do in the desert, he was successful at doing in the desert and has reclaimed and made righteous all of the human experience. The Son of Man, the Son of God. And what James is saying here is, in real point form, is that temptation's end is death. Temptation's end is death. And he describes the biology or the genealogy of temptation. Temptations that lead. And the genealogy or biology of it can be thought of in this acronym, LEAD. When temptations lead, it begins, as James says, with a lure. We are lured. That is, our attention. We, something gets our attention. And then from being lured, oh, the next is enticed, which is, it's attractive. It's something we find attractive, something that we want. And we move from, oh, to, oh. And it's that attraction as though what we want is somehow now a higher priority than even what we might need. And the next step from there that he describes is an action that we choose, that our will, our volition gets involved and we act what of our, what he calls desire. And we make an action and we move to and we accept what was uh, got our attention, what attracts us and what we want, and now we go for it. And what's conspicuously absent here, as James is describing this, is what we call Satan. What's conspicuously absent is that Satan is absent because James is saying that this is part of our desire. And what makes it a temptation, interestingly, is on the action to choose to go in this way, what makes it a temptation is that we kind of know what is right and what is proper, and we might even think or have a hunch that this might be not so good, but we go ahead anyway. And what James is saying is that when we go to that act and we take an action towards it, he says that desire in this case, he says desire reproduces. Desire makes more desire. And in this case, with temptation, what it produces is sin. Hamartia. Sin is a form of betrayal. It's a, it's a form of alienating, moving away from God, turning away from what the Lord has in store and desire for us. And what happens next with when desire, our action produces, this desire produces sin. James says, finally, you know what happens is that sin grows up. And when sin grows up, it also reproduces. And the outcome of when sin grows up is death. When temptations lead, sin slays the host. 
That's how one scholar described it. Sin allowed to grow and develop slays the host. It's powerful when temptation runs its course. It can ruin a person's emotional state. It can cause mental health struggles. It can get wedge its way into relationships. It can erode relationships and the focus. It can harm uh, our, our physical life. It can get so disruptive and so destructive and ultimately it, it can actually kill. I was always reflecting on this, these metaphors that James is using, this biology and this genealogy. It also reminded me quite a lot of fishing. If you've done some fishing with the rod and reel, you know that you hook one of these on to the end. It's literally called what? A lure. It's called a lure. And what it does is it's shiny and it's got some color and it's sitting there in the water and all these fishes are swimming around and they're going for something to eat. Something to eat. Oh. And then they see this lure, this shiny thing, and it gets their attention. Lure. Now, if you have a smelt or a worm or something on that hook, now it's got their attention and now you see the fish is seeing there's a smelt or a worm or something on there and now it's something that's attractive, something that they want and the next thing you know, the fish is bitten onto the lure and the hook and away we go. This is what he's describing. But what he's describing is that there's this other part too, which is when this continues to happen, it produces this pattern as we get going. Dr. Mark Lewis is a neuroscientist and a developmental psychologist, Dr. Mark Lewis. He wrote a book called uh, The Biology of Desire. The subtitle is Why Addiction is Not a Disease. And he does quite a bit of work in the area of uh, neuroscience. In this book, and he does a great job of des describing and defining the difference between the brain, the matter part, and the mind. And he reminds us that the brain is made up of cells and molecules and uh, protein and blood and membrane, even electricity. But he says it's we that crave. We desire. Now there is something also part of the brain called the striatum. Striatum rather. And it is something that learns by experience. And it adjusts based on what feels good. And what he points out is that between our mind and the material called, in this case, the striatum, what happens is that past pleasures become present desire. And so how he describes it, and it's, I always love reading science when the scientists discover what the scriptures have been saying. Are you with me? So what he says, what this neuroscience, he says, he puts it this way. He says that attention plus attraction equals propulsion. 
attention plus attraction equals propulsion. And that's what James is saying is that when you have something that catches your attention and you're attracted to it, it propels you. It starts propelling you in that direction. And then Dr. Lewis also has this other thing that he brings to bear, which is the problem of us humans that we have this thing called now appeal. It's a fancy term for like uh, immediate gratification. He calls it now appeal. If it wasn't that we had fast food restaurants, we need to have drive-through fast food restaurants because you need to get your fast food faster. And you, when you want to heat your water, you put it in the microwave for two and a half minutes because it's faster than taking five minutes on the stove. Because you need it fast, immediate, now appeal. So what is our desire's aim for us? Well, we, we desire food. Yeah. We desire drinks. We desire comfort. Any one of these can get away on us pretty quickly. Desire comfort, especially if we're feeling pain. We desire money. We desire physical intimacy. What does a temptation look like? There could be so many examples I could use, but let's just use one. Thanks to first laptops and then cell phones and smartphones that are basically a computer in your hand. And you're scrolling through your phone and you're going through just what used to be a newspaper. You're now catching up in the news highlights. And all of a sudden something pops up on your uh, news feed or as you're scrolling. And it gets your attention. And you like what you see. A person. Not modeling a lot of apparel. And that attraction now moves to you. Yeah, that's interesting. I like what I see. And you click. And you get into it a little. But now the algorithms have it such that now that's going to start popping up on your screen pretty, uh, just a little more often. If you're on YouTube, if you're in Google News, whatever the case may be. And now it's popping up quite a bit. And now you're really fully into it. You've gone from lure and attraction. You've taken the action. But the thing is, now if you're really onto it and you're hooked in that area, now, if you're in a relationship with somebody else, it's gotten in between you and that other person. In fact, you have more attention there than you do to the person you're in a relationship with, and it's beginning to erode your relationship. Or if you're a worker at school, it's gotten so much that you're actually thinking about it, that there are images that are replaying in your mind quite regularly, and it's got a lot of airtime in your life, and you're moving down the road from the A to the D. That's the theology and the biology and the genealogy all together. And the thing is, groups, it, we're susceptible as groups too. I'm so thankful that we have churches in Canada, many churches, a lot of churches in Calgary. We even have some what I'd call mega churches. But the challenge with groups is that we can actually, I, I think maybe, I've decided, I've, I've thought maybe a temptation is to compare. So what happens is we have churches all over the place and we look over the church over there, we look over the church over there and we see what's going on over that church over there, how many people they have or the, you know, the dry ice and the spangled balls of light and all the Disney business going on and we really like what's going on and we like the, the, you know, the, the singles program that they've got going on over there and we, we like it and it's attractive to us and now we're all diverting our attention and away from what the Lord has in store and in mind for us as the followers of Jesus Christ is Westview as a congregation because he has a vision for us. 
but we covet and we are jealous about another part of the, like the, the foot is jealous of the hand, man. And there we go. So how does the desire get satisfied? How do we approach this and resolve this? Is it just self-indulgence? Do we just live uh, through and just whatever we choose? It doesn't seem to work. Is it self-denial? Do we just ignore that we have desire and craving? Well, good luck with that. We just pretend, pretend that I don't... Eh. So... What do we make of our desire and what can we do with it? James continues in chapter 1, verse 16. I want to just read this verse. He says, do not be deceived, my beloved. Just pause there for a second, right in the middle of this. Do not be deceived, my beloved. We read earlier, he says, brothers and sisters... Now he says, beloved, because Pastor James is putting himself directly with the congregation. He's not over the congregation. He's not above or separate or different. He's putting himself with the congregation. And he loves the congregation. And that's how I feel as well. You know, when Kimberly and I moved here from Manitoba just about a year ago, we wondered, can we love again? You know, we love the congregation. Could we love another congregation again? And then we realize that the love that we're talking about is a love that comes from the Lord, and He will invest that and fund our love, and He will put that in us. And I will tell you that even though it's just been, we started here June, beginning of June, even though it's been just about a year, I can tell you that we are growing in our love for you. We get to know your names. We get to spend time with you. We're doing life together with you. And the other thing I will say is even though I'm standing here and maybe sometimes jumping up and down a little, I'm not different than you are. When I'm talking about trials, we go through trials. When I talk about temptations, we go through temptations. And what he says here, brothers and sisters, beloved, is don't be deceived. Don't be misled. Don't be strayed and drawn by the luring and enticement of a temptation that leads to nowhere. And sometimes a warning is about as good. We could just stop there, right? I mean, a warning is really good too, all in and of itself. You know, um, don't put your curling iron in the bathtub with you, right? I don't know. Do, attention, coffee is hot. Apparently, we need these labels and these warnings. And the writer of 1 John 2, 15 and 16 says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. Those who love the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Because all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. And John, in that section 2, is just this warning. Like, that's a mirage. It's fake. Ask, you know... Tiger Woods. Don't be deceived, he says. But then he goes on in verse 17. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, 
coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This section, now he switches, Pastor James switches over here, and he talks about life and of goodness and of promise. And what he's talking about is that our God is a God who gives. Our God is a generous giver. Our God is a generous giver of the ideal gift. Paul writing in Romans 8.32 said, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also through him freely give us all things? We have the cross that reminds us of the generosity of a God who gives generously. And he reminds us that he gave us life. And he, ret he returns, he, he, he draws on the creation account to remind us that our Lord, our God, gave us life. He reminds the congregation that you're alive because God has given you life. Yes, there was a mom and a dad involved in the procreative process, but there is something mysterious and, and miraculous that happens as the psalmist says, he stitched you together, he formed you in your mother's womb. God is bringing, he's the source of life. He gave us life. He gave you your life. And he created human beings from the outset. So not just ours specifically, but generally he created human beings. Then he created a people of God through the Israelites and through giving of laws. He created a people of God, a family of God. And then finally when he came as the Son of Man and the Son of God and Jesus Christ and he went to the cross, he gave his life, he was buried and rose again, and that everyone who believes in him will have a new life given by the Holy Spirit. So in fact, we're given a life to begin with that's a human life, but then we're given a spiritual life. We are born again and we become a different kind of people. You are a different person and it's entirely because of Jesus Christ. No longer from the human race under Adam, but now under the spiritual race under Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that matters. An entirely new kind of people through the Holy Spirit. That's the work of our Lord. And he says, the father of lights. Again, he goes back to creation. He's bringing Old Testament in. And he's talking about the father of lights. You know, I, I've, I've studied the, um, the neuroscience in the internal universe. Initially, I was also studying the external universe, but because of the complexities of the internal universe, it was just starting to blow my mind on how to set that down. But imagine the extent of the external universe. The sun, the moon, the stars, we're just getting started. Galaxies, sheets, I mean, it's massive. And what James is saying is, he created all of that. The God who is the giver of life also set all of this up, and his point is that God is utterly dependable. Humans didn't hang those up there. And they're not in jeopardy. Not because somebody made a bad decision or had a bad day or got into an argument. Oh, there goes the moon. It's entirely dependable. The Lord our creator is utterly dependable. 
even when people aren't, even when a circumstance looks really tough and precarious, He is our rock and a foundation and completely dependable. And He rewards those who endure the temptation. So the lure happens, the enticement happens, and then in before the action, we say no, no, no. And when we do, he rewards and he blesses those who endure and withstand the temptation. And that's why we have all this sitting here. Because he is the giver of all kinds of gifts. And he gives and he gives and he gives. And it's not materiality like there's a toaster or something. It's not like widgets or something like a, a new hockey stick that we're talking about. It's something you put. It's much more valuable and it's much more essential. It's in those difficult times in life. Most of the, the gifts that he's, we're talking about are, first of all, to our internal being. What we need in terms of our mental, emotional, uh, physical need. What we need for the moment. And what James is saying is when we resist and we turn from there and we say and we endure. Then we start to receive the gifts and we start to discover, well, what is this? What is this? This is peace of mind. But the only way we get here is to endure and stay from there. Wonder and power There are different kinds of life and death. It actually happens in stages, as James is pointing out. Death can be an erosion of a relationship. It can be a mental erosion. It can be emotional. We can, that process can start, and so too can the process of living. Living, that doesn't mean that there are no trials or temptations or difficulties, but it means that you thrive and you are victorious even in the midst of those against what are perceived uh, obstacles, against odds. You're thriving and living. And what you notice is this, what James is doing is trying to encourage us to move from and to. He's in trying to encourage the parishioners, his, his beloved, to resist and bolster the strength to resist by drawing attention to the dangers of temptation and succumbing, but also to inspire us to move towards the Lord and to move towards and be inspired by the blessings and the rewards and the gifts that he has meant for us. And do you notice the posture is one of taking versus one of receiving? If you're in a place where you feel like you have to take, you're probably over here. If you're in a place where you want to receive a blessing, a reward from the Holy Spirit, you are receiving because the Lord is giving. If you're taking, you're probably over here. We need something special, though, to help us in this, in this zone. Because we struggle with uh, what Dr. Lewis calls now appeal. In that moment, in the heat of that moment, we need something special to help us to both resist and to draw near 
in the immediate and to help us with what is in a future blessing. And here too, it begins, friends, brothers and sisters, beloved, it begins by looking at the cross of Jesus Christ. It begins because we call ourselves followers of Jesus. So we look to Jesus and to the cross. We understand that he was crucified, that he was buried, and that he was raised again. And that he received what? The crown of life. He, uh, there is no other name under heaven. He received the name that is above all names. And the idea is that as it was with Jesus, so too it is with followers of Jesus. That means ultimately, yes, but that also means in the here and now. And that's what Paul is writing about when he talks about being uh, identifying with Jesus in his burial and also identifying with him in his resurrection. Because in the heat of a trial or when you are being tempted, it can be pretty tough. But if you remember the empty cross and the empty tomb and you know that the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus will help you out of that, then you look to that, you believe in that, and it will happen. And you will begin to receive some blessings as a result of enduring the temptation. It's in that space. It's in that gap. So then desire is not about suppressing something to pretend that something doesn't exist, but it is about modulating it and directing it. It is, in effect, what James is encouraging us to do and his congregation to do is to direct our desire, to understand that we have it and that it is meant to be fulfilled in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. If I would use sort of common vernacular, the message is to aim your crave. Aim your crave. Direct your desire. I want to pause here uh, for some Q&R and then we're going to wrap it up. If you have a question, uh, live streamers, you can text or email to ask at westviewchurch.ca. Or if you have a question here, you can do the same thing. Um, or you can stand where you are and we'll get a microphone to you. And we'll just pause here for a moment. And you'll be happy to know that I'm not asking people to send in or stand up and confess your temptation. That's, that's, that's not this. Uh, because then we basically all would have to. I would say that wouldn't be only uh, sort of equitable then. But we are all. Uh, speaking of 1 James, so earlier I was referencing 1 James 2, 15 and 16. Well, 1 James 1, 8, he says, um, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Us, right? So we all are human beings. We experience temptation. And we have desire. The, the theologian and the neuroscientists agree. You know, I always love, when I'm reading science, I love how scientists sort of discover and articulate what Scripture has been writing about. I love that. And there's Dr. Lewis. Well, very well. Why don't we, uh, I'm going to finish here. And as I do, maybe I'll ask the music team to come up. Friends, there is a space. There is a space between the desire and the doing. A space between lure, entice, the space between that and acting. 
Neuroscientists call it the space between stimulus and response. We can manage in that space. There's something called the dorsolateral uh, PFC or prefrontal cortex. It is like the sophisticated part of our brain. It's like sometimes they might call it an executive. But it is able to imagine and evaluate and pursue. We are actually able to reroute our desires. We have the, the Lord has given that ability to us. And so when we're in that space, why don't we just expand and stretch that space out? I was talking to somebody in the, after the first service about what we can do just to take a beat between the lure and attention. Before you click, take the beat. Before you reach for the thing on the shelf, take an extra beat and just expand that space before you respond and make a choice to resist and draw near. Because as we reroute, perceptions change. And then we begin to realize and we begin to think, you know what? Actually, this is tough, it's difficult, but what if tough or difficult is good? What if it's better than easy? What if difficult is better than comfort? Who said when it comes to comfort that it gets to be the top of the heap? What if waiting is a better value than indulging? What if waiting is good? What if the fruit of the spirit of self-control begins to grow? And gentleness and kindness and faithfulness begins to grow because we're going to aim our crave we're going to direct our desire and discover what the Lord has for us would you pray with me Heavenly Father we uh, just we confess Lord Jesus the, the struggles that we have as human beings we confess that we have we have sinned and fallen short on occasions. And Lord, we acknowledge that there are just so many distractions that are clamoring for our attention, clamoring for our eyes and our ears, clamoring. It's so easy to gossip. It's so easy to be distracted for young adults and teens and for adults and for those that are in a relationship and those that are living a singlehood life. Lord, forgive us when we, when, we, when we have blamed you for our travails. Forgive us when we have placed the blame on you and, 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 and said, well, you're the cause of this and why you, me, Lord, and what have you done, God? When we have sullied your very character you are the good giver and we breathe in and out and we have our very breath because you have given us life and if you would ever remove the goodness from this world it would be awful 
So, Lord Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, I pray, just infuse this congregation with the truth of you, with your character and what you do. Lord Jesus, give us eyes to see you and how wonderful and glorious you are. Give us a vision for what you have in store for us and for our children and for our families and our brothers and sisters and friends. Remind us of your goodness that you are a giver of every good and perfect gift is from you. Every good and perfect gift is from you. Would we as followers of Jesus be the ones who look to you, point to you, resemble you? Thanks to you. In Jesus' name.